What's up, Cake Nation, and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake Online Podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and today airs the third episode of our Organic Chemistry series. On our previous episodes, we had Dr. Ali Boyington chatting about radical chemistry and Dr. Joel Walker talking about process chemistry. Get excited, folks, because today's sweet guest got her bachelor's degrees, that's right, I said degrees, in chemistry and music for Hope College, and she is currently a third-year PhD candidate in organic chemistry at Indiana University. I should also mention that she is one of the key conductors on the Cake Nation hype train choo-choo, and we all appreciate all that she does to encourage, uplift, and edify our village. So folks, would you join me in giving a warm welcome to our sweet guest, my friend, Stana Dorn. Stana, thank you so much for joining me today. I am super hyped for our chat. Uh, but before we dive right in, I just wanted to check in and see how you were doing. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so stoked to be here right now. I'm kind of just speechless still. <laughs> All right. We're stoked to have you. Um, I'm really excited to learn about your chemistry. Um, but I did want to touch on a previous conversation that we had uh, because something super interesting came up and I'm really intrigued. It was about your favorite molecule. And when I saw the crystal structure that you sent me, I was rendered breathless because it is such a beautiful structure. Um, and you had mentioned that it was somewhat complex. So I was wondering if you could tell us more about this complex uh, structure. Yeah, so um, this molecule, um, it's my current favorite molecule, mostly because um, I kind of had to fight tooth and nail to get the crystal structure. So um, the crystal structure was really important for um, the project that I'm working on right now. And um, it was important to kind of affirm the relative stereochemistry that we were getting out of the reaction and um, there are multiple ways that you can do that, um, but in this case, um, X-ray crystallography uh, was the method that we pursued, um, and it was tough to get. Um, it's, I think, seven steps um, to get the functionalized molecule, and I tried a few different crystallization uh, techniques and after weeks of battling with it, I finally got it. And it was it was extremely validating. That's so exciting. I, so I, okay, first and foremost, crystallography is super cool. Um, I am just slightly salty that I can't use um, XRD or, you know, X-ray diffractometry to, uh, you know, crystallize my, my, structures because I, I work with an amorphous polymer and so that it's not going to help me but as an undergrad I did um, use XRD which is great and just sitting there for hours and hours just watching my mentor trying to figure out the structure and then seeing his excitement he's like oh my gosh this is the structure and I was like oh my gosh did we make it and he's like yes we did and we were just like dancing around <laughs> in in um, x-ray because it was just like really exciting to have a structure this is a really important yeah um that's super cool x-ray is it's a really awesome technique and it's really cool to be able to see like the structure and look at it and be like i made that 
that's a very satisfying feeling just looking at it and being like yes i have created you um <laughs> yeah i agree oh, wow that's super cool so so what what kind of molecule is this like um is this like a, a fully organic molecule or what, what are we what are we looking at here uh fully organic in the sense that there's no metals involved um it's just okay. got carbon hydrogen oxygen in there okay. it's a product of a sequence um that i'm kind of trying to develop i'm trying not to i want to talk in detail but it's also not published yet so that's fair <laughs> um, yeah no um it, yeah kind of this sequence and i'm trying to prove that going through the whole sequence is viable um and worthwhile and so um yeah that's why this structure really means a lot to me is it it was kind of proof that we could get to the end um, in a selective fashion. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. So, so you do, so you do from my understanding, organometallic chemistry, but as you said, rather than focusing on metal based complexes, you use metals to functionalize these organic molecules. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So, um, the work that I do revolves, um, at least the work that I've done the past three years has revolved around copper palladium synergistic catalysis. Ooh. You'll hear this called a few different things, um, synergistic catalysis, bimetallic catalysis, cooperative <laughs> catalysis. I'm not sure that we've, as a community, have fully kind of converged on one definition. Um, but essentially, um, the idea that there are two um, orthogonal catalytic cycles that intersect in order to achieve reactivity that neither catalyst on their own could achieve. Wow. That's very cool. So is there a reason why you're using this catalyst in particular? Yeah, so there are two separate catalysts. So there's a copper catalyst and then there's a palladium catalyst. Um, and one of the really remarkable things um, about the work that I do is I feel like I just dump a bunch of things together <laughs> and it, mm -hmm. just, it just miraculously works. Um, that's a little bit of an overstatement. We we do kind of have to do um, optimization and stuff, but it, it kind of blows my mind. Um, so the copper uh, catalyst functions to kind of activate whatever alkene um, we're working with. So a lot of the work that we do in our group is um, alkene functionalization. So mm -hmm. copper serves typically to um, activate the alkene. Um, we usually use some sort of um, boronic ester or boron functionality, and then we can get uh, copper boron insertion across a double bond. Um, at the same time, we use a palladium catalyst, and the palladium catalyst serves to activate some sort of um, electrophile, so perhaps um, an aryl halide is a lot of the uh, electrophile species that we use. And so once you get activation of the alkene, activation of your aryl halide, then the two metals can do transmetallation, and then um, you can ultimately get your aryl electrophile where the copper species initially was. So uh, this is really interesting. So when you say you use palladium at the same time, is that in the same like one pot as the yeah. yep. copper? Because it sounds, I, I, was, I was really intrigued the order in which you, you'd mentioned that you said copper and then you have some type of boronic acid or boronic ester and then palladium uh, because the last two compounds sound very 
much in line of like a Suzuki coupling. Yeah, yep, yep. So if copper weren't in there, you could expect to get a Suzuki coupling. I see. Sometimes we see like a, a Muir borrelation product as a side product. Okay. So if you were to have the copper and the boronic acid, but not the palladium, what kind of, would you expect to see something happen? Um, so if you have, let's say everything but the palladium in the aryl electrophile, um, mm-hmm. so if you had alkene, the boronic ester and copper, you typically get uh, things like protoboration, where you protonate off the alkyl copper species. Oh. And that's actually um, where a lot of our previous kind of inspiration came from, was people looking at this kind of protoboration or copper B-pin insertion into alkenes. Whoa, that's very cool. I'm just trying to think of, so is this then when you have all of your catalysts in one pot, is this like a concerted thing or does is there like a selectivity of which catalyst will work first? I would say both catalytic cycles are operating simultaneously. Each of the catalysts is kind of tailored or each of the substrates is kind of tailored um, to react more selectively with um, either of the catalysts. So um, the oxidative addition of an aryl halide into palladium is going to be much faster than if you were trying to do a similar thing with copper. And so we can get selectivity uh, in that sense. Wow, that's mind-blowing. Yeah, sometimes it's it's hard to explain organic chemistry without all of the pictures sometimes. Right, right. I was just, because I was wondering, like, okay, so if you have, like, your, you know, palladium catalyst and you have your copper catalyst and you just throw it all into one round-bottom flask, is the copper going to work first with its respective functionalization? Is the palladium going to work first? Are they doing what they're doing at the same time because they're you know they are selected to different groups yeah Uh, uh, (laughs) it's a good thing yeah that's just that sound that's coming out of my mouth right now is just like my brain like i am this is wow uh (laughs) yeah yeah um so i had done organometallic research in my undergrad and i remember Um, being told that I was going to work on this kind of dual catalytic system. And I was just like mind blown because there's these two catalytic cycles that um, have to intersect and the timing has to be, you know, has to be um, productive such that you get the product you want. Um, Mm -hmm. You're not just like kind of stalled out at an intermediate um, to get byproduct formation. Um, But a lot of our work was, um, we were doing some copper functionalization, so without the palladium, and we are inspired by, um, there's a Siddiqui organometallics paper from 2005 where um, their group takes these copper, NHC copper B-pin complexes and um, reacts them with alkenes, and then they isolate the whole metal complex. Um, and so from there, we became interested in, um, that was inspiring to us because a lot of people use those alkyl copper complexes as um, nucleophilic species. So thinking about what kinds of electrophiles we could introduce to the system and thinking about um, a palladium complex that has undergone oxidative addition 
that's an electrophile. And so that's really where the inspiration um, for the dual catalytic system uh, came about. Are the, so I just, and I, I, if I am, you know, sending like a broken record, please let me know. Um, I just want to kind of wrap my head around what's happening, you know, in the reaction. So yeah, for sure. Are the palladium catalysts and the copper catalysts separate but being added to the same reaction or are they like somehow coordinated? They are not connected. Um, so two separate catalysts, we make them separately, isolate them separately, add them separately. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Got it. I'm tracking now. Um, okay. So then, so then these, these molecules that you're making with these catalysts, is there any potential application in the foreseeable future? Like, yeah. So, um, our group is, or at least kind of the aspect that I'm involved with, um, is methodology development. Um, I think that's similar to what Ali said that she does. Um, and so the goal is to develop ideally general methods to kind of introduce rapid molecular complexity from simple, easily accessible starting materials. So that's one of the reasons why our group is focused on alkene functionalization. Yeah. Alkenes are prevalent. Um, <laughs> are, uh, typically easily accessible depending on how fancy you want your alkene to be. But um, we also introduce the boron functionality because boronic esters and other derivatives of that are easily functionalized into a variety of things. So it's a really versatile functional handle that if you can install it into your molecule, um, there's a lot of ways you can diverge from that. Throughout kind of our work on alkene functionalization, we have been able to kind of demonstrate using this method to access medicinally relevant molecules just to show the applicability of our method. Okay, yeah, that's super cool. And and um, I don't know why, but when you said that alkenes were prevalent, the first thing that came to mind was beta carotene um, <laughs> because because that molecule has so many double bonds mm -hmm. and it's not it's not an aromatic system i don't believe because it's just it's just highly conjugated and mm -hmm. and so then my next thought was you know you have these extended pi systems it, is it difficult to functionalize a highly conjugated pi system that's a really good question <laughs> Because, like, my thought was, do you functionalize one? Do you functionalize all of them? Do you functionalize none of them because it's so stable? Oh, that brings up a really interesting kind of aspect of our research is that for the copper-palladium synergistic um, catalysis system, it's we have to use um, conjugated alkenes in the sense we don't typically use things with as many conjugated double bonds as carotene. But, <laughs> Things like styrenes um, that can be conjugated in the aromatic ring or linear dienes we've shown reactivity with. And so sometimes there is a selectivity challenge, but it's important for us to use, we, we call these activated alkenes in the sense that um, the additional conjugation helps stabilize the metal intermediate that you form oh. um, compared to non-conjugated systems. So 
for the copper palladium chemistry in our group that it's essential to have some sort of activated system. We've recently in the past few years been expanding out towards nickel catalyzed chemistry. Um, I haven't worked on that at all, but um, the idea with the nickel chemistry is that we don't have to use activated alkenes with that. So that's so interesting. That really is very interesting. I, whenever I hear of catalyst, the first thing I think of is like rubidium or, or palladium, uh, copper, but nickel is, I mean, like I've heard of some nickel catalysts, but that's not one that you hear every day, at least not, not in my experience. Yeah. Um, it's really gained popularity. I'd say in the past, I don't know, 10 ish years, <laughs> um, but there's a lot of people doing, um, like nickel catalyzed photoredox chemistry where they combine nickel catalysis with photoredox catalysis. And nickel is really interesting. Uh, I think there's a lot of avenues to explore with it. And I think there's a lot that the community doesn't quite understand regarding mechanism just because nickel has access to a variety of oxidation states. Does it? Comparing to like the palladium chemistry, we feel very confident in saying with our mechanism, it goes from palladium zero to palladium two after oxidative addition. And then after reductive elimination just goes back to palladium zero. With nickel, you can start off or you can start off with like a nickel two species reduced down to nickel zero. But then there's sometimes you can access like one, two and three oxidation states with nickel. What? Yeah. I hold on, hold on. Did you say nickel one and nickel three? Yes. Am I, I am I like so out of it that I didn't know that these existed? Um, for my organometallic class, my professor kind of made the point that um, we could get a variety of nickel. Um, but nickel one and three, if you're proposing that type of cycle, it definitely is um, not as common. Okay. We just had, our group just had um, paper come out, I think it was last year, and they did a lot of mechanistic work to try and figure out whether it was a zero two or a one three cycle. I guess, I guess that blows my mind. I mean, I, and it, it might, you know, be as mind blowing to some folks hearing that iron, iron four exists, though not stable, but iron four does exist um, because mm -hmm. it's forced into iron four in, in, in biological systems. And I just think that that's insane. I, I was also like preparing myself just mentally for you to say like, yeah, like nickel ha like has, you know, as many oxidation states as like manganese or vanadium. And I'm like, <laughs> what <laughs> my mind my mind is blown the world as i know it is just what is going on so yeah okay that's so interesting wow that's so cool <laughs> yeah there are a lot of things to think about obviously and i i that was not something that i was thinking about nickel one or three it's so congratulations Stana. i you have rendered cake speechless and mind blown that's so cool. Wow. Wow. I, I have no other words, but wow, because that's, 
I think metals are really cool. I mean, I love organic chemistry. I mean, granted, I love all chemistry, so I guess that's not a secret to anyone, but just just metals in general. Yeah, um, I agree. Once the D orbitals are involved, mm-hmm. it's, like, super exciting. And then, like, don't even get me started on the lanthanides because that's when, like, the F orbitals get in- involved. And I'm like, I, okay, I got to tap out this, like, too much for my brain to handle. Yeah. I can't. A lot of the folks in my lab work with lanthanides. Oh, and it's awesome. just insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. Like, erbium is a is a thing that they work with a lot um crazy yeah so it's cool and the colors that we see are just gorgeous oh my goodness gravy like cobalt cobalt's great i i was working with cobalt as as an undergrad um and we got to see some really beautiful greens and blues um Mm -hmm. but i i know that i think i have a, a colleague working with holmium um, and that changes color depending on what kind of light it is um, exposed to. So, for example, if you hold it up to the sunlight, it turns either pink or yellow and then will turn either pink or yellow when you put it under iridescent light um, mm, or, or, you know, like the regular lights in your house, uh, which was like, it's changing colors. Yeah. And it's like you didn't even do anything you just put it in a different light and i'm i just okay you know what this is this is mind-blowing like colors are already beyond me and then like things are changing colors just by like moving it five feet away from the window and i'm like okay you know what i always think it's yeah so i do a lot of synthesis in terms of like prepping like starting materials and things like that and I always get excited when I see colors for yeah. uh, the organic. As opposed to like white or off-white. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, satisfying it's... to like make something and get that white solid. You're like, yes. I know yeah. But then, you know, it's nice to see a pop of color every once in a while. Yeah, you know, pink and pink and orange are fun. Mm-hmm. Like green. I The the material I work with is um black. And yeah. it's I mean, on the way to the material I make is quite lovely, depending on um, which metal salt I'm working with. So like if I was working with um, iron three, an iron three salt, it goes from clear. Once I add the iron three salt, it turns this beautiful deep blue green. Um, And once I add the base, it'll turn this deep wine red. Ooh, um, and then it becomes black and that's also quite wonderful so the end material is black but the colors that i see on the way there are quite lovely and you can actually see them changing color within a minute or two oh, wow. um, awesome. it's quite lovely yeah and and you know i just so i'm just going to start talking about metals or you know if i use an iron two salt granted this was without pres- presence of oxygen because you know um, if you want to keep your iron too you can't have oxygen around otherwise it'll oxidize but we had this beautiful beautiful lilac color and then upon addition of addition of the base you had uh it was like a very light pink rosé color and then it turned darker to like a sangria pink red color and then it turned like a deep red wine color and then it turned into the elixir of death once we exposed it to air so <laughs> I, I was not expecting that that was that came out of nowhere <laughs> i was like in the happy little world of lilac and pinks and then you were like <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean like like i said the the end of it, the end material is black 
um but it's but it's like you know beautiful colors on the way there so i part of me just wants to play around with different metals just to see what other colors i would would get granted i would want to focus on magnetically active metal centers so that i can characterize it because our our uh loud focuses on magnetism so nice. but i think it's really cool but i am rambling about colors um <laughs> I, I know I, you just got me go, you got me going on colors and now I couldn't oh, no, stop. Okay. <laughs> cool, right? Oh, so great. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, but but this is not to knock like you know that white material because you know I think I feel like the more transparent, like quote unquote transparent white ish, um, col- like your crystals are the purer it is. No. Uh yeah yeah so. A lot of times, um, especially like if we have like, if we present a reaction and it doesn't work, like one of the first questions is like, what did your starting material look like? <laughs> if it's anything like, oh, it was like slightly off-white, slightly yellow, we're like, hmm, maybe you should try and repurify that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Stana, it looks like uh, we are nearing the end of our chat, but Bummer. I do have one more question. And so I thank you, I thank you very much for uh, letting me ramble about um, uh, colors and metals. But my last question for you is, uh, are you ready for it? I'm so ready. You're so ready. Okay. What is your favorite cake flavor and why? My favorite cake flavor. It's nothing like extravagant over the top i love chocolate cake just like chocolate cake chocolate frosting i feel like you can't go wrong with chocolate so it's i don't know it's been my go-to as long as i can remember so yeah now here's my follow-up question excellent what kind of chocolate because there's chocolate milk chocolate dark chocolate um, there is also uh, chocolate ganache instead of chocolate buttercream, and mm-hmm. there's also like devil's food cake. And so, I'm curious: is there a particular kind of chocolate cake, or just? I tend to gravitate more towards like the milk to dark range, and okay. I definitely like buttercream frosting. Interesting. Do tell. Oh, in terms of like. So, so like, why, why buttercream over other, you know, like, ganache or, um, like, molten lava cake? Oh, that's good, too, though. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think, I don't know if it's necessarily, like, more traditional. I feel like, I feel like that's just what I've had, like, what I had, like, from a really young age, and I loved it. And so, I think it has a really special place in my heart. Oh, I see. So, sentimental value, which is absolutely respectable and i think that's that's great um i mean because everyone knows or not perhaps not everyone but most people know that my favorite cake flavor quote is tiramisu um granted like if it's done if it's made traditionally it's more of a pastry than a cake but you can make it a cake and most it is because well, just culinarily, it's wonderful. But if you were to ask me, what is your favorite sentimental cake? Um, I would have to say, 
I would have to say uh, marble cake with butterfree, like just your regular buttercream frosting um, because that was what I had on my 18th birthday. And for whatever reason, it was just the most marvelous cake I, I had and I fell in love with it. And so that's my second favorite cake, just in case folks were wondering. Um, but I do have then a, th- is this a second, like a third question, second follow-up. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about bunt cake? Ooh. Mm-hmm. It's a different texture, but it's still chocolate, but it does something. It changes the game. It does. It does. Um, I, I do like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably like not quite as much as, you know, my favorite cake, but yeah, of course, still high on the list. Okay. So, so your favorite cake then is your typical sponge layer yeah. with regular chocolate buttercream. Yes. Okay. Okay, just wanted to make sure because sometimes yeah, yeah. you know, chocolate could be, mean a lot of things. Oh, so true. Right? I'm glad you clarified. Okay, great. I'm also glad that I clarified. I do know, like, because like, chocolate could mean chocolate cake pop, could mean chocolate mm-hmm. sponge, could mean chocolate bunt, could mm-hmm. mean chocolate cupcake, which is a, a whole other conversation on its own. <laughs> um, and I, I know that. Um, I I am definitely getting excited about. I, there's a there's a plan. There's been chatter about uh, whether or not we're going to have a roundtable of folks debating what is a cake and what isn't. And um, yes, yes. And uh, I do realize that the the more the more episodes we do with um, with scientists on the podcast, the more in depth my questions about cake become. And I think it's important. I think it's important because obviously, like who? I mean, like who doesn't like cake? There's gluten free cake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nut free cake. There's lactose free t- cake. Like cake mm-hmm. is just great. Cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a sweet answer. Thank you so much for uh humoring my 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 last question, Santa. Thank you so much for joining me today as well. Um I had so much fun learning about the chemistry that you do and like raving about uh metals and colors. Um and just like definitely asking lots of questions about catalysts. Um this was such a sweet chat. Uh to the listeners at home. Thank you for joining in on our chat. Um, it is always super sweet to have you. Uh, we hope that this chat has hyped you up for the week. Um, so if you would like to hop aboard the hype train too, you can follow Stana on Twitter at Stana underscore Dorn, as well as myself at Chemistry Cake. And um, for those that would like to follow us, those, link- those will be linked in the description. Additionally, if you'd like to follow my many stay-at-home shenanigans, you can follow me on Instagram at Chemistry Cake online. Um, I can guarantee many boomerangs of my morning tea and photos of my latest watercolor pieces. Until then, this is your friendly reminder to stay hydrated, to keep the hype alive, and to edify our village. Stay healthy and take care, folks. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off.